0: Well, let me pray. We'll get into God's word this Easter Sunday. Father, many of us have been to Easter Sunday service for a long time. Guard us against just this day just being a ritual where we just think about the risen Christ today and all that he's done on a cross. Help us live us live as believers as changed people by the power that raised Jesus from the dead and Lord I pray for maybe some here this morning maybe just with family maybe who are far from you just in an honest moment Lord I pray that they would consider Christ and all that he's done for them in Jesus name amen vindication you know that word Vindication is the clearing of someone of blame. It is proof that someone or something is right or justified or acquitted. This takes different forms of vindication. The, the purest form is this. Has anybody ever accused you of something and put this guilty verdict on you? And yet you're not guilty, and you're innocent, but you have to deal formally or informally with the consequences of that guilty verdict. And after a while, the truth comes out. The truth comes out that it wasn't you, it was somebody else. And you are vindicated. You are acquitted. That feels good. There's a good vindication. There's other types of vindication, though. Have you ever said to someone, I told you so, where you twist it in after you've told them, hey, if you do this, this, and this, here's what's going to happen. I told you so. That's a type of vindication. It may feel good, but the likely scenario is if it came true, what you said would happen, that's likely not a good situation. And it also likely fuels pride and arrogance in your own heart, does it not? I've been there. You think about all the Monday morning quarterback situations that you can think of, of this kind of I told you so vindication. You think about elections one way or another. You think about the economy. You think about personal relationships. Parents with kids ever said, I told you so? I got teenagers. I told you so. It's a different kind of vindication, not such a good type of vindication. There's also a prove yourself kind of vindication. Approve yourself vindication Have you ever had someone say to you, wow, I'm not sure if I saw that one coming with you. I'm pleasantly surprised. You ever felt like, hey, this person doesn't think I can do this, but I've got to pull it off. I've got to prove myself. I've got to vindicate myself. And when you do that, you're kind of left with the surprise of, well, I guess they didn't think I could do it. When I think of that type of vindication, I think of March Madness. Every year there's a Cinderella team in March Madness, if you follow college basketball. This year, who was the team? St. Peter's University, a 15 seed in the tournament. And they beat three teams. This has never happened. They beat three teams that had 26 plus wins. Some of this is information to you. Like, I don't know what this guy's saying. They made it to the elite ape. No 15 seed has ever made it to the elite eight, And it busted most people's brackets except for the about 2,200 students that go to that university. The prove yourself kind of vindication. I want to show you, though, this morning, the vindication of Jesus. The good kind. I want you to stop, though, before we get there and consider something. I want you to put yourself in first century you're a first century Jew living in the days of Jesus. The Romans are oppressing you. You're living in that day. And you're at the crucifixion. And you've heard some things about this Jesus. You've heard about a baby born off in Bethlehem somewhere in a manger with animals and shepherds. You've, you've heard rumors of that. You've heard about a carpenter's son from Nazareth. Can anything really good come out of Nazareth? You've heard about a ragamuffin group of disciples who follow this guy. And all the sinners of the day that follow him and care for him and walk with him. And then you've heard that he's come into Jerusalem at Passover on a borrowed colt. And people are praising him and singing Hosanna. And you've heard about His guilty verdict. And you've heard the flogging that he had. And how they cast lots for everything this guy owned. Right before him. And mocked him. And put him on a cross. And you're there. And then you hear this. He's said that not only is he going to die but he said multiple times that he's going to rise again. What would your take have been if you were there about Jesus? Is he a one seed or a 15 seed? Is he rightly accused or falsely accused? Did he do what say he would do just to say, I told you so? What do you make of the carpenter's son from Nazareth? What do you make of his claims to be Messiah? His claims to be able to forgive sin? What do you make of the cross? What do you make of an empty tomb? You know, it's easy for us to look back at this story, this true story. It's easy for us to look back and go, how'd they miss it? We have the benefit of history of looking back But the disciples, they were in the fire. They were in the middle of this, and it wasn't so clear to them. Go with me to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, and we'll be in verses 1 through 15 today. This is the original early morning Easter story. Page 835, if you need a Bible. There's some Bibles around you. Page 835. Matthew 28, 1 through 15. And I want to show you God's power to vindicate. I want you to see God's word that validates, and then we've got to come to this conclusion. You've got to come to a response of Jesus if you're intellectually honest. If you're intellectually honest, there has to be a response to the risen Savior. You're going to see two different responses from two different types of folks. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 15. Let me read it. For I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. And he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly to tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And ran to tell the disciples and behold Jesus met them on the way and said greetings and he came up and took hold and they t- came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him then Jesus said to them don't be afraid go and tell my brothers go to Galilee and there they will see me verse 11 while they were going behold some of the guards went to the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place and when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while they were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed, as the story has been spread among the Jews until this day. First thing I want you to see in the first four verses Of this passage is this. The power of the resurrection vindicates God's Son. Go back and look at it. Verse 1 through 4. Here's what we see we see two ladies coming to the tomb, and other passages of the Synoptic Gospels tell us that they're coming to the tomb. And here's the thing they were the last people at the cross, these ladies, and they came to the tomb the day before, and they're the first up in the morning to come back to the tomb. See, these ladies are loyal to Jesus. They're loyal to Jesus. And they come back on the first day of the week, Sunday. It's Mary Magdalene. Remember Mary Magdalene who has received mercy and grace from Jesus. You see her love for him because of that. And the other Mary went to see the tomb. Why are they coming to see the tomb? You don't see it here, but you see it in the other gospels. They have oils. They have oils to bury him. They believe he's dead, like really dead, and they're going to anoint his body with oils. They don't know how they're getting in the tomb, because for all they know, the tomb is still there, and it's still not rolled away. So these women are what? They are loyal to Jesus. They love Jesus. But here's the thing. They've just lost their teacher. They've just lost the rabbi. They've just lost who they believe to be the Messiah. And so they are lamenting. They're loyal and they're lamenting, but they lack something, don't they? How many times has Jesus said to them that he's going to rise? Three or four times in the book of Matthew, over 20 times in all the gospels, you see Jesus telling them that he's gonna die and three days later he's gonna rise from the dead. And so we don't know exactly why, but they lack faith or they've just forgotten in the way that they've been lamenting over him that he was going to rise. So you see these ladies, their loyalty, they're lamenting, but they lacked faith. And so what does God do? He's vindicating his son. Look at all the power that you see here. Look at this miraculous thing that happens. They're going to the tomb, and behold, what do they see? There was an earthquake. When you see an earthquake in the Bible, you're meant to see God's presence and God's working. You see it at the cross. You see it all the way through the scriptures. God's showing up. It's miraculous. You see an earthquake, and then you see an angel show up who rolls away a stone and sitting on it, and he's waiting. That's pretty miraculous. If you saw an angel shining like the way this angel was shining when you came to the tomb, that would be incredible to you. This is a miraculous thing that happens. So you see an angel. This is God's power working. And it says that this angel rolled back the stone. Have you ever stopped and considered why the angel rolled back the stone? Was it for Jesus? Jesus was resurrected already, and guess what? Jesus didn't need the stone to be rolled away to raise from the dead. We know later, where Jesus is hanging out with the disciples, he goes through walls like a resurrected body. The stone wasn't rolled away because Jesus needed to get out. It was rolled away for them. It was rolled away as a witness to the vindication of the Son of God for the people that were there. The first people who saw it were the guards. Do you see it? And what do the guards do? They're passed out. They're freaked out. They see this angel come and roll away the stone. The They're freaked. So this power was meant to be an external evidence of God's powerful vindication, his proof that Jesus, and it was for these ladies, and it was for all to see. Miraculous demonstration of God's power to vindicate his son, to tell And show everyone that his son had risen. But let me ask you a question. What kind of power are you looking for to believe? Or even, like these ladies, to continue to believe? What kind of power do you need to see from God? What what kind of power do you continue to need to see from God? I'll say more about this later. But here's the deal. The problem with belief is usually not such an evidence thing or a testimony thing. It's it's the unbelieving heart kind of thing. More on that later. But let me ask you this question. How does God's power show up in our lives today? How does God's power show up in our lives today? Listen, here's what I wish. I wish that angels showed up on a regular basis to tell me and explain to me what's going on. I wish God would show up in earthquakes if I was doing something wrong. I wish the miraculous would happen. I want a sign. It'd be a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? But let me warn you about that. Had these women seen signs before? They had seen signs before, and there's a place for it to vindicate what God is doing. These ladies had seen signs before, and they still lacked faith that Jesus was going to rise again. Do you know that Jesus in the Gospels, he stopped doing miraculous things. He stopped doing miraculous signs that pointed to him. The sign wasn't the issue. The signs were meant to point to Jesus. He stopped doing those things. He stopped doing those things for the crowds because they just wanted to see the show. I wish God showed up that way but there's a warning here as well. Listen, how then does the New Testament talk to us as believers in Jesus about the power of God showing up in our lives? You know what the New Testament does? There's a number of things, and these are beautiful things, and you need to see them as beautiful things in your life because one of the greatest challenges in our life, where's God? Is he working in my life? I don't sense him. I don't feel him. Where is my hope? These are real questions that you ask whether you verbalize them or not. Where's God in this? The first truth is this, and you see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. It's the hope that you have, the future hope, that when you die, because you will die, what's going to happen? See, the truth is this. As a believer in Jesus, your hope for resurrection is by the power of God, the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead that will happen for you. That's your hope. That's how we spend eternity in heaven with the inheritance that we have. Look at 1 Corinthians six fourteen. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. This is your hope, y'all. Look at what else. Romans 6, 4 says this. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of of life. Your salvation is miraculous. If you've come to know Jesus and you're sharing your testimony with somebody, what are you talking about? You're talking about God's power that worked in your life, that took you from someone who was lost and now found, that took you from the prodigal, now restored to the father. It's God's power that works in your salvation. You aren't smart enough the Bible says you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and God raised you up by his mercy and grace. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that gives you newness of life. Do you see your salvation as miraculous? You ought to. It's a miraculous thing. And not only that, look at this. Second Peter 1.3 says this. It says his divine power has given us, this is broader, his divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Let me translate the word everything for you from the Greek. Everything. Everything. For life and godliness, he gives you through his power and by his word. Man, we go searching all kinds of places for different kinds of power and different kinds of way of living. Everything. That's what it says here. So, how does God's power, how's God's power at work in us? It's by word. At work in our lives, it's at work in our salvation. But there's something else. You can't talk, you really can't talk about godly living and life and power without talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, gives us power to live out this Christian life. You know the song from Galatians 5. Maybe you've taught it to your kids the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what we do with this low hanging fruit, no pun intended. We overlook the low-hanging fruit because we want to see the miraculous. And let me tell you something. When you think about the fruit of the Spirit in your life, we breeze over this passage like it's no big deal. Is it that easy to love someone? My spouse, my sweet wife, loves me in spite of me. That's God's work. That's power working in her to love me in spite of me. I heard some laughs and some y'all are looking at each other and doing this right here. That's God's power. You need to see it as God's power. Joy, joy is this settledness about you no matter what you're going through that God's got you. Do you think you can pull that off? That's God's power, his amazing power working in your life to bring you joy even in the hardest of circumstances. There's a settledness about you. Peace. If you opened up your phone right now, I'm sorry, I'm doing this to you. If you opened up your phone right now in the next two weeks and you just went through your schedule, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be worrying about all the things that are going to go on in the next week, in the next couple weeks, and all the anxiety is going to come up. Sorry. And yet, you can have peace. That's not something you can produce on your own. That's God's power at work through His Spirit to give you peace, patience. I look around this room and I see a lot of parents with small kids. Even with the sweet things, like in five minutes, your kid has asked the same question 500 times. They've listened to the same song 100 times in 15 minutes. That takes some patience, even when it's cute. Patience. It's not something we can pull off. Kindness. If you drive on 1488... It's kind of hard for you to be kind. No, you can't get in. On social media, kindness, come on. Cancel each other. So, so the Holy Spirit works in power, and we see some of this kind of stuff as just mundane sometimes. Don't see the low-hanging fruit of God working in your life as just mundane. You need to see it as God powerfully working in your life Listen, we can't miss the mind bending, earth moving power of God to vindicate his son. And he can work that way, and he does work that way sometimes. But don't look past the low hanging fruit of God's Spirit working in your life day to day to help you love, to help you have joy, patience, kindness, self control. You got teenagers? Self control. Go figure that one out. My kids have to have self-control with me too. So God vindicates, he vindicates by his power the resurrection of his son to demonstrate that he was falsely accused, that this is true. All that Jesus said he would do, he did. There's vindication, but there's also something else. If you look at verses 5 and through 7, you see not only God's vindication and his power to vindicate, you see God's word that validates God's word validates and it strengthens your faith. Look at it there. Verse 5. It says, so we enter the angel and the angel speaks. What's an angel? He's a messenger. He's meant to give a message to these ladies that are coming. And if you just read it, you can get the sense that, hey, the angel knew that these ladies were coming. God in his providence knew their situation. They knew what was coming. Here's the deal. How are these ladies supposed to interpret all these miraculous things? You see, the angel's job is to explain the situation, what it means. We don't just need the miraculous. The, miracu- the miraculous are signs that point to something greater. We need explanation for miraculous things like the raising of Jesus, don't we? We need to understand, like these ladies did, what, what just happened these ladies are confused. These ladies don't remember Jesus said, I'm going to rise again. Look at it. But the angel said to them, look at the comfort in this angel's voice. And look at the way in which this angel strengthens them. Don't be afraid. It's usually the first thing an angel says. Don't be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus. He already knows. You seek Jesus, that's why you're here, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. So the angel is explaining the resurrection and what's happened. And look at what else he does to strengthen their faith. And he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Here's the evidence. He's not here. And then he says, Go quickly to tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you in Galilee, just like he said. This is interesting. Do you remember the conversation that the disciples had with Jesus, or Jesus had with the disciples? They're leaving the upper room, and they're going to the garden of Gethsemane. And what does Jesus say for like the third or fourth time? Hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised. But hey, I'll see you in Galilee. That's what Jesus had already said before. And so what does the angel say? In a nice way, he's saying, hey, remember, Jesus said he would rise, and he told you he would hang out with you in Galilee. Go. If you're in that situation, and you are scared, and you are lamenting your Savior dying, and the angel says those words, remember, Galilee, it probably clicks at this point. That's a grace. Do you see that? That's a comfort. That strengthens their faith. Hey, remember, Jesus said this. He said he would raise. And he said we're going to go hang out with him in Galilee. We're going to be with him there. What strengthening of faith you see here. And one of the neat things that God does for us, because we're forgetful people, he does this all the way through Scripture. When big, big miracles happen in the Bible, think about the Exodus with me for just a minute. God comes to Moses and he says, I'm going to deliver the people and I'm going to use you. Moses wasn't quite ready, but he said, okay, I'm going to deliver the people. Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring plagues on Egypt, 10 of them. I need you to go tell the people that and I'm going to deliver the people. So there's an explanation before these miracles in the Exodus and then these miracles happen. And then the people of God were delivered, and what does God say? See, he re-explains what happened to them. You see the same thing with Jesus. You see him saying over and over, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. I'm going to meet you in Galilee. He explains that before. It happens, and then he re-explains it. That's what you're seeing here, an explanation again. Do we need that? We need that over and over. We come to church and we're reminded of the cross every week on purpose because we're a forgetful people like these ladies. Well, what is it that really strengthens and builds your faith? And I tell you what it is if I put these two thoughts together? It's God's power through his spirit working through his word With the person of Jesus Christ in the center. The way you're strengthened in your faith, primarily, is through the power of God working mightily in His Word. And through His Word, the Word made flesh, and His Word that we have right in front of us. Who do you trust? What do you trust? There are a lot of voices that are in our ears, more voices than ever before in our culture. Who do you trust? Do you trust God's word? And I think one of the questions that, that has come to the forefront in the church over the last few years, I think we often give lip service and say, yeah, I believe the Bible. I believe God's word. But functionally, what can often happen is that we take the ideology of the world and we kind of sprinkle it into the ideology and the truth of the gospel and the truth of God's word, and we mix those up. It's called syncretism, where you mix things up. The problem with that is it doesn't really hold water. And what happens, and I've seen it over and over and over again in believers' lives. Listen, there's, there's a place in which we look at the truth of the resurrection. We look at the truth of Scripture and go, man, I have my questions. There's a right and good place for that, to go, Lord, I'm doubting, help me that the church comes around and cares for you and go, hey, let's walk through these things that you're struggling with. But here's what I see just as a pastor and a counselor of people. When you start doing this syncretistic thing and just going, yeah, I believe the Bible, but functionally, it's really not sufficient for this thing over here in my life my identity the way i feel my emotions my decisions about what i think about cultural things i could get specific i'm not going to do that this morning when we do that we start losing the word of god we start losing the word's sufficiency remember what i said remember first second peter it says God has given us everything for life and godliness. If you're struggling with the truths of Scripture, let's talk about it. Let's work through that. There's a right place, a really right place to work through those questions. When I have doubts, working through those questions. But, if you're, but you've got to come to the Word of God for your answers. If you say you're deconstructing, it's a popular term today, But you're just looking out there, it's not being honest. Are you really reconstructing your faith with the questions that you have? Important stuff. You see the word of God validates the resurrection of the son and explains it and that strengthens the faith of these ladies. This is true in our lives as well. The resurrection strengthens our faith. God's word strengthens our faith. But here's the deal. At some point, you've gotta decide what to do with Jesus. You gotta respond to the death and resurrection of Jesus, if you're honest. You've gotta do something with Jesus. Not doing something is doing something. And this is what you see in verses eight through 15. In verses eight through 15, look at them. These ladies do what? Jesus said to go. And what do they do? They departed quickly. They obeyed from the tomb, and they departed with both fear and joy. Put those together, right? And they ran to do what? Tell the disciples. We see in other gospels, they ran to tell the disciples, and what was the disciples' initial response without Jesus being there? Nah, don't believe it. But then the disciples see Jesus, and they have the same response. Look at this. Jesus shows up. While they're running back to see the, deci- the rest of the disciples and tell them about the risen Christ, Jesus shows up. He meets these ladies on the way. And he says, Greetings. And they came and took hold of his feet, and they did what? They worshipped him. This is the same response you see with the disciples when they actually saw him. They worshipped him. And what else did they do? They went and told. Their lives completely changed. That That was the purpose of their life from that moment forward, to proclaim the risen Christ. They worshiped and they witnessed, but look at the rest of it. And then he says this, Jesus, look at the compassion of Jesus. Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. When is the last time Jesus has seen his brothers? He saw their backsides when they were running away in the garden of Gethsemane. And yet he still calls them brothers. He loves them in spite of their lack of faith and trust in him. He loves them. He pursues them. And he does the same to us. My brothers to Galilee, there they will see me. But look at the other response. So, so you see the ladies' response and other places you can see the disciples' response of worship and witness. But look at the chief priest. Look at the elders. If you were to turn just to the last few verses of chapter 27 before we get there, here's what you saw you saw them conspiring and saying, hey, Jesus said he was going to rise again. And so, and it's interesting because the chief priests and elders remember Jesus' statement, but the disciples don't. So you know what they do before this, right before this text? These chief priests and elders, they gather together. And they say, hey, we're going to seal this tomb. We're going to seal it. We're going to put caulk around it so that Jesus can't get out. Otherwise, the conspiracy theory that might be coming from the disciples, that they just went and took his, took his body, we don't want that message to get out. Then we're going to have a real political problem and a power problem with the Jews. So they're worried about the disciples' conspiracy theory, but look at what they're doing here. Here's the irony. Verse 11, while, while they were going, behold, some of the guards came into the city, told the chief priests, It had taken place. They assembled the elders together. They did group think here. What are we going to do? We sealed it. Didn't work. They gave a sufficient sum of money. This is blood money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And then they paid him. Like the plan doesn't even make any sense because these soldiers are in trouble either way. They may have money, but they're in trouble. If you were supposed to guard a tomb and something happened, you're a goner. The plan doesn't even make sense. So so what's their response? You know, I said earlier that the problem of unbelief isn't usually a lack of evidence or lack of testimony. It's an unbelieving heart. And I think that was their issue. They were busybodies working on a cover-up for what just happened, that Jesus is risen. Lots of irony here. Let me ask you, What's your response? What's your response to an empty tomb and a risen Savior? Like the disciples, did you humble yourself, trust in Christ, and worship Him, and go and tell? Is that your response as a believer in Jesus, to worship Him, to tell of Him, to your neighbor, to your friends, especially on Easter? Or do you work really hard? Do you work really hard at denying the truth, the empty tomb, and the resurrection? See, Christ, the risen Christ, demands a response. I gave you in the beginning this morning, I gave you three scenarios of vindication the falsely accused, the I told you so, the prove yourself kind of vindication. Here's the truth about Jesus. Jesus was never a 15 seed. He didn't come out of nowhere. He eternally existed with the Father from eternity past. And God became a man. He became flesh, and He was falsely accused as a criminal. And He died a criminal's death for our sins, and He was raised anew to vindicate Himself, to acquit Himself, to prove Himself. And he didn't just do it to look at us and say, I told you so. He did it out of love for God so loved that he gave. Listen, if you're here this morning and you don't know that truth, listen, the Bible would say this. You have a debt that there's no way that you can pay. But Christ is your guarantor and he can pay it. That debt can't be paid off, as we said on Good Friday. He doesn't take our form of payment. Our sin is a debt. He's our guarantor. Our sin is also relational hostility against God. We're his enemies, and the only one that can mediate that relationship back into order is Christ. He's the one mediator between God and man. That's what Christ has done for you. He can renew and restore and reconcile a relationship with God that you don't have. And sin is also, it's a crime. We've broken God's law, but the Bible says that Jesus died in our place. He didn't die to say, I told you so. He died because he loved you and he died in our place God gave him for us. And he not only gives us new life and forgiveness, he gives us a sure hope of resurrection someday. He gives us newness of life. And his power is at work through his spirit, working in our lives to make much of him. And here's the thing. He's sitting now at the right hand of the Father. His kingdom has no end. See, Jesus was not some criminal. He's a crowned king. He's a risen king. So my question as we leave today was the question posed at the beginning. Do you know him? Let me pray. If you don't mind bowing your heads, everyone. Before I pray, as you bow your heads. I want you to think about where you stand with the Lord. Where you stand with God, with sin that you can't repay. Do you know Christ? Have you trusted in Christ? If you've not yet done that, I would encourage you to consider Christ. And a prayer doesn't save you, it's trust in Christ that does. But you could pray something like this to talk to God about yourself and where you're at. Lord, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus to save me from my sins. I trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross to forgive me of my sins. I trust in his resurrection. I believe in him. Listen, We've prayed that prayer. We'd love to talk to you more. And Lord, we also pray for people in this room who know Jesus, who have trusted him as Savior. Lord, help us be grounded in the truth that while you do the miraculous, which is what the cross and the resurrection is all about, God powerfully working in our lives because of the cross, that Christ was truly raised, a dead man, truly dead, was raised to vindicate who he was. Lord, help us know that power in our lives, the truth of that, even in the mundane, that you are still believing, that you are still at work in our lives, that you haven't left us hanging. Sometimes that's hard to believe, Lord. But you are here, you are present And we can draw near to you and your spirit is at work. And so help our hearts believe that. Lord, I pray that your power would be at work in our lives through your spirit and by your word to strengthen our faith and help us be a people who respond to the truth of the gospel in worship and in witness. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.